0: Have you ever allowed your imagination to run wild about the world of work? To wonder what would happen if we tore up all the rules and started again? Welcome to What If?, a podcast from the CIPD's work magazine that dares to ask the previously unthinkable. I'm Katie Jacobs, and in the latest of our series, we're talking about diversity and inclusion. It's an area that has, quite rightly, sped up the corporate agenda in recent years. But what if our current approach was actually holding us back from achieving true equality in the workplace? Businesses spend $7.5 billion each year globally on initiatives designed to improve inclusion, from diversity training to mentoring programmes. It's a vital investment because we know that in most workplaces, access to opportunities is not shared equally between all groups. A problem that begins with recruitment processes and runs right through to who's in the C-suite. But some of the stark facts around the number of CEOs from ethnic minorities, for example, or around how challenging those with a disability can find getting into suitable employment, could make us question the effectiveness of that investment. So it seems fair to ask whether framing the issue in the way we do and dedicating resources specifically to DNI could cause as many problems as it solves. Is creating a corporate function dedicated to diversity really going to bring about grassroots change that will deliver genuine equality. We asked two people who have been intrinsic to the diversity debate in the UK for many years. The broadcaster and speaker René Carriol, and Bernadette Thompson, a diversity campaigner who has worked extensively across the civil service and is now Associate Director of Inclusion at Barts Health NHS Trust. I began by asking them what the corporate focus on DNI is ultimately trying to achieve. First up, René.
1: Belonging is the vision. Belonging is the promised land. It's always well to have, wouldn't it be amazing if we could create an environment where everyone felt that they belonged? A little bit like the feeling of family. I'm accepted no matter what. No matter how badly I behave, I'm still going to be part of the family. No matter how different I am, I'm still going to be part of the family. No matter how much I wander away, I will feel this feeling of fraternity, kindred, spirit. I want to come back and be part of it. It's essential to my well-being, to my spirit, to my motivation. But most of all, I'm welcomed and I'm valued by everyone around me. What we see is most businesses, most organizations start off at diversity, they're normally a little homogenous, especially at senior levels. And there are many people who feel underrepresented. And when they look up, they don't see many people that look like them. So lots of the top talent starts to ask questions about can I really progress and advance in an organization where no one at the top looks like me. There are those who are feeling very strongly I want to work for a business or an organization that really is diverse and inclusive. And we've got a younger generation, they're a little bit braver than my vintage. They'll speak up, they'll speak out. And as part of their movement towards a fairer and just society, they are very vocal about sustainability. They're assertive about climate change in precisely the same way they are about inclusion. And that in many respects has been the catalyst, along with the tragic murder of George Floyd, for a whole new emphasis, movement, acceleration, amplification of diversity, inclusion and belonging. It's nearly turned over a brand, not a brand new page, not a brand new chapter. It feels like a new book. And if someone had said to me, we'll be taking it this seriously in my lifetime, given where I've come from with the journey I've you know, I would never have believed it.
2: I think it's a, like a bit like fashion. So, what's the next thing we can add on to it? Uh, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. What what we've been told now is that belonging is done, dancing like no one is watching, or you know, or being able to play your own music. I think belonging, the concept of belonging, is just pushing on the boundaries of um, inclusion. That you are there, you're allowed to be in the space, you're being respected, but there're no limits you know, you feel at home, you feel you're part of that place, you're there to add value, you're not there as just like a figurehead or to do nothing really, we've got you there, that's fine, that's okay, but you can be yourself, you can give your best, you can speak your mind, Your voice can be heard. So I think, you know, I'm sure we'll come up with another terminology, but I think what is important with regards to inclusion and belonging is that person's lived experience in whatever facet of life. That is what is important, how they experience, whether it's the workplace, how they experience life, how they experience their journey throughout life. They feel that they belong to that society or that organisation.
0: One common criticism from those sceptical about efforts to increase diversity is that much of it amounts to what they perceive as positive discrimination. However, René Cariel is very clear that any debate around positive discrimination is a distraction and that those who criticize DNI need to interrogate the limits of their own experience.
1: So let's start with a correction here. There is nothing positive about discrimination. Nothing. The term positive discrimination does shouldn't, doesn't, never exist. There is nothing at all positive about discrimination. Inclusion means inclusion. That means every single voice needs to be heard. No matter how irritating it is, no matter how negative it is, it still deserves to be brought in. When we see the naysayers, and I see them in the C-suite, I meet them in the boardroom. What I notice about most of them, it's been a very long time since they have ever tasted exclusion. What we see and it's very powerful. No one ever really understands the power of inclusion until they've been excluded. And we create environments where even the person who probably hasn't been excluded since university days or since high school days, the rarefied atmosphere that they were operating today, they wouldn't understand what it's like to walk in the shoes of Mary who works in the catering department, who has been treated maliciously and badly for the 26 years she's worked for the, the business but Mary's from the Philippines. But Mary needs to send 20% of her weekly wages back home to her extended family. Consequently, she trades dignity for being treated badly every week because being in in employment is more important. Our colleagues in the boardroom and in the C-suite do not know what it's like at the end of a very long day, having been shouted at, screamed at, misogyny, racism, everything, She takes it all, she finishes at 6.30, she's done an extra hour that she's not going to be paid for. She takes a deep breath before going home to a 15-storey social housing, three buses and a tube to get there. Getting home in the dark, the lift isn't working again, she's got to go up the stairs and she's scared. But every week she gets to send 20% of her salary home to her loved ones in the Philippines. If the C-suite were able to understand what that's like, they'd be the biggest backers of inclusion and we've got people at the entry level who are underrepresented who are marginalized who are finding their voices and there's a younger generation amplifying those voices and the ability to speak up and speak out we've not seen a time like this
0: so what of our central premise if we simply stopped talking about and acting on dni would we see inclusion happen naturally or would we be turning back the clock in the worst possible way I asked both our guests for their views. First, Bernadette Thompson.
2: Oh dear, oh dear, oh my. That is a scary thought right now. It's a scary thought because we're not in the place. We're not mature enough. The society, I think, to, to cope with that. I think people are, are set in their ways a lot of times. When we talk a lot of the time, people mention unconscious bias. I say there is conscious bias and that is why we can never take our foot off the pedal. There are people no matter what you say to them, they don't get this. They were brought up in a certain way. Um, this is good. That is bad. And that's, I, I don't want to mix with that. Those kind of people, I, we, we see that in society today. And that is why we still need to continue with this because you have people in society, irrespective of, you know, what goes on. You, they don't like people from certain background, people that talk in certain ways. Um, they might make their views known very openly or they could be subtle in in that it affects their decision making so I think that is one of the reasons why because of the conscious bias that exists within our society Um, in some respects because of the some of the constructs the way our society has been constructed you know we need to continue talking about this we need to make sure that the drum beat doesn't stop and people don't stop dancing because when we stop we will go back and we don't want to go back to how it was in the day um so i think we still have we're, we're not a mature society we're not we're not there yet at all so we have to continue what i would like to see more of though is people thinking about this through the lens of their their core business if i could, if i say so diversity should be the core business but when we're talking about commercial looking at it through the lens of inclusion when we're thinking about comms thinking about through the lens of inclusion we am talking about hr through the lens of inclusion and that way it will become more or less second nature to people but i think um, until that happens we, we need to continue because conscious bias still exists within our society and i'm not sure that it will ever go away
1: After two years of the uncertainty and chaos that the pandemic has brought, there are many people who have worked really hard, have found it really difficult over the past two years who are starting to ask the very simple question, I've given everything I possibly can over the last two years. I haven't seen my colleagues as often as I would like to. I'm not sure that my line manager has been as connected with me or has cared about me as much as I would have liked. And now I'm asking... Are there other businesses and organizations that might care a little more, might be there for me a little more? And in a world where I, I may not have to commute the, as much as I had to, the wide opportunities I've got, the options I've got for my next position is much broader. And now I'm searching for someone whose values match mine. And when I look at the what's making me unhappy, that's leading me to the great resignation, there are... Four or five things at the top of my list I'm looking for, and the research tells us, recent research has told us, that in there, something that I'm really after is clarity. Something I'm really after is learning. But the top three, by far, most of all, trust. I want to be in an environment where I'm trusted. Five times more likely to stay. Nine times more likely to stay, I want to work with a business that's got a clear purpose and lives to it. But the overall win, overwhelming winner, and 9.4 times more likely to stay, is I want to be in an inclusive environment where I'm valued for who I am. I'm not being shoehorned into a job description. I'm not being asked to march in line. I don't have to leave my personality at reception at 8.30 and piggyback up at 6.30 when I'm going home. I can be who I want to be. If we decided to dump all of that, get ready for the, not the great, resignation, the Uber resignation. We will see unrest like we've never seen before. My generation, we saluted, clicked our heels and marched in line. I would live to the job description. What I was asked to be, I would do because I didn't want to cause trouble. I didn't want to be labeled. and I wanted to stay in the job that I had. If we look at most of the business we're supporting, the biggest gap we're seeing is not gender, is not race, It's not faith, It's not disability, It's not LGBT, it's generations. There's a generation that's more vocal, more demanding, more assertive, and far more prepared to vote with their values. And I think if we took away diversity, inclusion and belonging, chaos would reign. We couldn't just get away with it now. There's a price to pay. We tried this with climate change and the venerable David Attenborough, who we all love, from the blue planet onwards, he tried for 50 years to get us to take it more seriously. We've seen a younger generation do more than Sir David in a couple of years. The recent COP26 wasn't about government, it was about business. And it's the younger generation that galvanized business to take it seriously. In much the same way they're pushing for inclusion way beyond race, but way beyond faith, way beyond gender. It's everyone to feel as though they belong. It's vital. I don't see it as a nice have or an option today. If you're a progressive business, progressive company, and you want to attract and retain the best, you want to be more innovative, you want to drive your bottom line, inclusion needs to be at the heart of everything you do.
0: So if businesses are still struggling to get the inclusion message heard in the boardroom, And we know there are representation and pay gaps across gender, ethnicity, disability and more. Where does Bernadette Thompson think we are going wrong? I think there
2: are little things that, I'll I'll talk about comms, for example. You know, you're doing a massive campaign and you look at the Comes in itself and it's not diverse and the language puts up certain groups of people so getting the basics right is for me is really important. Focusing a lot of time the focus on that glossy brochure, the strategy, our inclusion strategy you know and most of the people on the ground A they're not going to read it sorry to shock anyone who's just produced a strategy a lot mm-hmm. of people are not looking at it it's about the action that you take to make improvements. And this is why the employee voice is really important. I always talk about your employee network groups. Getting it right is having robust employee network groups who are active and you support them because they have the air to the ground and they will tell you whether your strategy is working. But it's all about action. I think it's um, Baroness Ruby McGregor Smith's report, Race in the Workplace, and that can apply for Inclusion, the time for talking is over, it's time to act. If I'm someone with a disability in the organization and you've got your strategy, but I haven't received my workplace adjustment on time, I don't care what's in your strategy, it's nonsense to me because I haven't received the adjustment. If I'm a very junior person within the organisation and I'm being tormented by a line manager and I've reported it and no one has done anything, I don't care about your strategy. So for organisations, how are we bringing the strategy to life? One thing, though, that all organisations can get better at is accountability. I remember our former diversity champion in the civil service, uh, Dame Sue Owen, used to say, well, how do we help people to account? A lot of the times, money is a great place to start. <laughs> who are the most, you know, who get those biggest bonuses? How are they doing on inclusion? Can we ask them? Can we check? So there's something about how are we holding our people to account? Who where do the buck stop? And that's something I think organizations could do better at. You know, your fantastic glossy strategy is great. However, how are we checking that we're making progress? Who is asking those questions? And if we're not getting it right, what are the consequences? And this is why a lot of strategies go on and go on with not much action. I know I sound like uh, quite doom and gloom, but for this particular issue, having a strategy is great. That's the vision. That's the plan. Holding ourselves to account and making sure it gets done. So I always encourage organizations to don't all the ocean, pick three, four things, five things you can focus on, but make sure you deliver. If it's two things you're going to write in your strategy, that's all right. Strategy doesn't have to be 100 pages. Just make sure you deliver it.
0: It's a powerful message and one that simply isn't being heard in most businesses. Maybe most corporate D&I is a well-meaning attempt to keep this critical topic at the top of the agenda. Maybe something more radical is needed. I finished by asking our speakers what organisations need to do to move beyond the rhetoric and bring about genuine change. Thanks for listening. And over to Bernadette.
2: I do believe that there is a lot of lip service still going on. If we think about the younger generation, so I've got a daughter who's 22 and they have a different approach to this and I think organisations need to understand that They're the different breeds coming through. And if they don't feel the culture is right, if they don't feel that they belong, if they don't feel that this place is inclusive, they're not going to do what the likes of me did. They will walk and they will do something different. I think it is said it is a priority, but I still feel that was just ticking a box. I still feel that a lot of our leaders need to understand better This for themselves, not think about, oh, this is the right, they say this is the right thing to do. But think of, look at yourself, what, how do I feel about this? And what should I be doing as an individual to understand this a bit better? Because they have that, we have the corporate responsibility, but that they're that individual responsibility. And I think when the individual responsibility becomes greater, we will see better results in the, the organisation as a whole. So I do think some organisations have done pretty well, but as a whole, it's still somewhat a bit of a tick box, I do believe.
1: I think step number one is understand that you have an opportunity, not a problem you have an opportunity to be even better. When that's understood, it changes the game. But what we see is incumbency. It's those who, the incumbents, who have all the influence, all the authority, and they're not about to trade that off. And it's natural. Everyone's like, when we go to Microsoft, the engineers are the incumbents. They're not trading their power and influence easily. They not really see why a level playing field should be brought in but include them in every, in every conversation, include them about the way forward, which we've done with them. We've seen an incredible change. When they become, when they realise they're not threatened, they're part of the change. Laura had a push 20 years ago to get senior, more senior women at the top. Now it's the senior women that are the incumbents. And they feel threatened. But most of the time, here in the UK, it's white middle-aged, middle-class men. But what we've seen through experience is engage them, involve them, embrace them. Don't leave them outside the tent. They need to be part of the inclusion initiatives. And we've found they add massive value. If at first they're irritating, cynical, arms folded and don't want to say anything, and why are we talking about race again? Why are we talking about gender? engage them in the conversation most people will want to participate in doing the right thing and i I sometimes object when we've got these diversity experts it's not about expertise doing the right thing has never been complex but i think we've got to enable people to see why it's within their gift for them to be part of this change and some of the jargon doesn't help Blame, shaming and guilt doesn't help. We retain the optimism, always focused on building a culture that eventually gets to belonging. Whether we get there or not doesn't matter. That's the shining star. That's the North Star. That's the promised land. If we can get there. But if we can get there where everyone, no matter who you are, has something to believe in and something to belong to. And we create an environment the culture defines the culture most is look out for each other, look after each other. Who wouldn't want to work in that? And sometimes we do have to focus on the most difficult area, the most challenging area of inclusion. And that, in the UK, that tends to be race, and it tends to be black people. And we, whilst I'm not a big embracer of all the stats, charts, data that gets us into the hardware, it's the software we should be looking at. Less the IQ, more the EQ. But as we sit here today, government stats, 70% of ethnic minorities earn less than 17,000 pounds a year. I'm gonna say that again so we don't lose it. 70%, seven zero, of ethnic minorities less than 17,000. Only 4% earn more than 50,000. That's why the focus is on race. If we can do that heavy lifting, a rising tide floats all boats. As we become more inclusive, we become more inclusive of everyone. But it's so important we don't by accident create exclusion zones.
0: You have been listening to the What If podcast, brought to you by the CIPD's Work Magazine. To find out more about how the CIPD is dedicated to better work and working lives, visit cipd.co.uk. And don't forget to check out the rest of the What If series from your podcast provider or the peoplemanagement.co.uk website.